0: The Lord, and so we're glad that you could be here. Um, let's all stand and I'll pray as we begin. Lord, we give you praise and thanks that we can gather together in your name. Reclaim your salvation. You are the God who saves. So we give you thanks for this day. We want to raise up our praises to you join together as one voice. Sing our hosannas. Let's sing this together.
1: In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit, Lord, we come. We're gathered gather together Your name to call on our Savior
2: to fall on your
1: grave.
0: In the name of the Father, here we go. In
1: the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit, Lord, we come. Together to lift up your name, to call on on our Savior, to fall on your grave, hear the joy, hear the joyful joyful sound.
0: salvation.
3: because of who
0: times we, uh, we kind of don't understand exactly what our identity is, right? And we kind of lose that. Um, and we are God's children, those of us who um, have Christ in our lives and have yielded to his spirit. But we need to ki- kind of just keep renewing that in our lives, right? And the Psalms is really good about challenging us to go back to that root and that center and This song is based on a psalm. And uh, it's a newer song for us, at least. And it may not be familiar to you or even really comfortable to you to sing in this style. So if that's where you're at this morning, then just uh, relax and listen. Pray these words if they reflect what your heart is sing along as the Spirit leads.
1: Change my heart
0: rushing with-
4: Thank you. Thank you, worship band. Well, welcome to Harvest Community Church. Uh, Let's take a few minutes now to um, greet your neighbor.
0: So we're glad that you could be here. Um, let's all stand, and I'll pray as we begin. Lord, we give you praise and thanks that we can gather together in your name. We claim your salvation. You are the God who saves. So we give you thanks for this day. We want to raise up our praises to you join together as one voice. Sing our hosannas. Let's sing this together.
1: In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit, Lord, we come. we gather together on our Savior To fall on your grace
0: In the name of the Father Here we go In the
1: name of the Father In the name of the Son In the name of the Spirit Lord, we come Gather together Lift up your name to call on our Savior to fall on your grave. Hear the joy, hear the joyful sound of our offering as your saints bow down, as your people sing, we will rise.
0: joyful sound. salvation Who
1: am I
0: that the The eyes that see might see? Sometimes we uh, we kind of don't understand exactly what our identity is, right? And we kind of lose that. Um, and we are God's children, those of us who um, have Christ in our lives and have yielded to His Spirit. But we need to ki- kind of just keep renewing that in our lives, right? And the Psalms is really good about challenging us to go back to that root and that center and. This song is based on a psalm, and uh, it's a newer song for us, at least. And it may not be familiar to you or even really comfortable to you to sing in this style. So if that's where you're at this morning, then just uh, relax and listen. Pray these words, if they reflect what your heart is. Sing along as the Spirit leads. you. Knew. rushing
4: Thank you. Thank you, worship band. Well, welcome to Harvest Community Church. Uh, Let's take a few minutes now to um, greet your neighbor. Am I, am I on now? Okay. Uh, pleasure to be with you today. Pleasure to be a part of this service. And thanks for the wonderful report, brother, of what's going on with crew up in San Francisco and points beyond as well. Uh, my wife is here with me. Uh, once in a while, you're going to see my kids here as well. So get ready for that sometime when it happens to come. Uh, I noticed, uh, our Suzanne and I noticed, that... Uh, you had this announcement about the shoeboxes for Samaritan's Purse. And uh, just to relate a little story, uh, this past spring we were in the country of Nepal, just above India, there, and borders on Bhutan and some of these other places. But uh, uh, we had the privilege of going with Samaritan's Purse out to a, a remote village in the mountains there. Hard to get to, the roads are terrible. Takes a long time to get out there, but once we got out there, we saw the effects of what Samaritan's Purse was able to do after a massive earthquake that just destroyed homes all over the village there. But what was really interesting is that of all of the homes that were destroyed, only two people died. And the reason is, is because they were in the valley at the small church, they'd all gathered at the small church. And the kids were opening all the shoe boxes that were there. It was just an amazing story. We met the pastor of the church who didn't have a lot of training, but he's doing his best, and the church is growing. And it was a, a marvelous experience just to see the effects of the shoe boxes and what Samaritan's Purse had done, because they had built all of these homes. And all on the hillsides, you could see the blue roofs of the houses that they reconstructed. And it was scores and scores and scores. And so it was a wonderful thing. And heartily endorse exactly what you're doing here in uh, that shoebox gathering part of that as well. Uh, One other uh, little prefatory remark. Is we're going to be looking at a couple of uh, standalone messages, and I thought perhaps the Psalms would be a good place to do that before we move into the Thanksgiving and Christmas season, where some of the, uh, those kinds of messages are, are certainly appropriate. So we've got a couple of weeks, and so I'd like to uh, do a couple of standalone messages, and the first one I'd like to do is Psalm 1, very familiar Psalm. And uh, I would like uh, for us to, you know, I'd like to read it to you, and then I'll go back and do it. And I'm going to ask you to indulge me for just a little bit here. Uh, And it would be uh, in the days of old, when the Word of God was read publicly, especially in a church, the people would stand for the Word. And after the reader finished, he would say, this is God's Word, and the people would respond, Amen and amen, and then be seated. So, again, would you please indulge me and stand, and I'll read these uh, verses for you. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night, and he will be like a tree, firmly planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is God's word. Amen Amen. and amen. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. You know, life itself is uh, reflected very much in the literature of the world. And you look at... uh, Uh, William Shakespeare, one of the great literary geniuses in all of history, he wrote both um, comedies as well as tragedies. Uh, Much Ado About Nothing is a Comedy, kind of a feel-good story. And in the end uh, of the story, everybody is happy because they get to marry the person they want to marry, and the person that they thought was dead comes back alive again. Uh, Hamlet, on the other hand, is a tragedy. Uh, it's a story of hatred and revenge and opposition. And in the end, everybody dies disappointed. Now, much ado about nothing adds a lot of levity to life, and we need that. But when you stand in the presence of a hamlet, you have a much more profound mirror of what the world is really like. Uh, and I've entitled, as was announced a few minutes ago, uh, this is the The happy and the restless. And with respect to happiness, somehow I think most people uh, begin life by thinking, unless they've been abused as children, but they begin life by thinking that uh, happiness is natural. But over a period of time, uh, when experiences, as experiences mount up, uh, we, we migrate some. Some go all the way to the end and say, well, happiness is just unachievable. Life is so bad, so burdensome. But most of us uh, operate somewhere in the middle. And oftentimes, um, in the midst of our busy lives, uh, we don't even recognize how harsh life is until some tragedy reaches up and grabs us by the throat. Those that love the Lord... uh, on the other hand, I don't believe that happiness is natural. We, we don't believe that uh, happiness is unachievable. We think happiness is possible even when you're cutting into the teeth of a headwind uh, in whatever you happen to be doing. And Psalm, Psalm 1 informs us that the key to happiness is cosmic and profoundly spiritual. And verse 1 begins with the word blessed. And the word blessed means happy. It's a good translation. Uh, But it's in the plural form in the Hebrew, which is the intensification of it, which means it's to be supremely happy. And supreme happiness belongs to those who are anchored in the Lord, who are anchored in God. And the writer describes what he means by that with a statement, a negative statement, followed by a positive statement. On the negative side, he says, happy is the man that chooses not to walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. There's kind of a downward movement here from walking to standing and sitting, and with each successive words, it implies greater involvement with evil. And certainly this would be illustrated in the life of Lot. Some of you are familiar with that man in scripture. He happened to be Abraham's nephew. And Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation uh, that would ultimately bring the Messiah. But Lot was his nephew. And uh, Lot uh, (laughs) separated himself from Abraham and the people of God. And then he pitched his tent with those that dishonored God. And finally, we find him sitting at the gates of Sodom uh, with those who absolutely scorned God. Now, in Semitic thought, Hebrew thought, where you sit is where you belong. And Lot believed in God. He really did. But he identified with the wrong culture. And in doing that, he he learned that the allurement of evil is intoxicating. You know, it constantly gets us to want to go independent. You know, but becoming our own sovereign, uh, controlling our own life, uh, does not deliver the rush that we think that it promises. And over time, uh, the evil cords or enslavement begin to wrap themselves around us. I... um, i point out an example here in, in Mark's gospel. Um, some of you are familiar with it, but there was a man who was controlled by a demon. He didn't live in the land of Israel. He was on the east side of the Jordan River in the land of Moab, but he was so strong. He lived in a cave, by the way, but he was so strong that nobody could even bind him, even with a chain. Uh, but at night, interestingly enough, he was screaming out as he was cutting himself with rocks. And so, ironically, the more the stronger he was emo- physically, the weaker that he got emotionally. And that's kind of the way evil works in your life and in my life. Uh, Satan may give you strength in areas that don't matter that much in the greater scheme of things, like power and status, but he'll make you weaker in things that are more important, like kindness and love. And there's a, there's a principle here and that is simply this, whatever we seek most in life becomes our master. If we seek power we're going to be controlled by power. If we seek acceptance we'll be controlled by the people that we seek to please. Uh, everybody has an ultimate value. Everybody has a bottom line. And if we, whatever we want so bad that it galvanizes us to the point where we have to have it, it in fact will take away our freedom. You see it um, in Tolkien's trilogy. You remember that tremendous three-volume story there? There was this ring of power created by a dark lord. And whoever got control of the ring and used the ring for selfish purposes came under the power of the dark lord. And then the the story is really what the two heroes are attempting to do in their journey to destroy the ring. Same idea. Uh, There's a, 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 go back a little bit further into Star Wars, and remember when Luke Skywalker was battling Darth Vader, he was in danger of giving in to his anger and thus being controlled by his anger. Uh, So there's a common theme. Among fantasy, really all fantasy, and that is the more self centered you are, the less control you have, and the more in bondage to evil you become. Uh, If you say, Well, I'm not serving God, I'm not serving uh, Satan, I'm really serving myself. Well, you're really not serving yourself. Uh, You're not under, you're you you got to be, you know, whatever you serve, you're going to be like that individual. You know, Satan said the same thing. I, I'm going to serve myself. And if we say that, exactly we're following the DNA of, of Satan himself, and we don't want to do that. Now, on the positive side, the negative side is don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. The positive side is uh, the happy person... Happy individual delights in the law of God. He meditates on the law day and night. Now, when we talk about the law, we're not talking about the rules in the Bible. We're talking about the one to whom the rules point. The one who kept the rules on our behalf. Uh, The one we rejoice in because he is the one who saved us by grace. So when we talk about the law we're really talking about the amazing gospel itself. And we delight in the gospel because it's the key to understanding God. It's the key to understanding who we are. Now, the late Jim Boyce, I don't know if you've ever read anything by him, but he was the pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia for years. He's gone now with the Lord, but he made an amazing, memorable statement. He says, the gospel reminds us That we are more sinful, evil, and wicked than we ever dared imagined. And yet, more valued, accepted, and loved than we ever dared hope. We're so bad that Jesus needed to die for us, and yet so valuable that he wanted to die for us. And really, the key to the Christian life, you know, sometimes when when we, you know, get stuck on ourselves and feel superior to other people, we need to remember how bad we are. When we hate ourselves and feel inferior to other people, we need to remember how valuable we are. And so the Christian life, in one sense, can be defined as walking a tightrope between the two chasms of self-hatred and self-exaltation. We we need the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, And he goes on to say it's... Knowing Christ and knowing the gospel is the basis by which we grow in his grace and become that tree-like believer that he talks about, firmly planted by the streams of living water which yields fruit in its season and his leaf does not wither. Uh, What that verse does is it lets us know that happiness in the Lord is not superficial because there's an analogy there between you and a tree. And it says the tree goes through various seasons of life. Winters are harsh. Summers are dry. A tree doesn't always blossom. It doesn't always bear fruit. Trees don't look very good some seasons of the year. Uh, And it's an apt picture of me. It's an apt picture of you. It's how we traverse our way through this life. But the one constant that we have, the one thing that we can always bank on, is that we are planted next to a stream An unremitting stream of water. In this case, it would be the water of life that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. That means even in drought-like conditions, um, the tree-like believer will not wither. So happy are those who are anchored in God. And if you try and find a refuge in anybody else, any human being on the face of this earth, uh, they're going to be crushed uh, underneath the emotional burden. You know, my wife here is Suzanne, and she's a terrific lady, and she's stuck with me now for 45 years. She deserves a purple heart. <laughs> but she, um, she can't bear the burden of all my problems. I mean, she listens. She cares. Uh, I trust her, but she's not my trust. God has to be my trust. And uh, so when we talk about biblical happiness, we're not talking about habitual jocularity. We're not talking about perpetual lightheartedness. We're talking about the man, the woman, the young person who has a perpetual divine fountain in the midst of the, str- uh, the, midst of the strife and the trials that we have in this life. We, we're anchored to Christ. Now the last part of verse 1, or Psalm 1, we learned that those who are not anchored in God are restless. Verse 4 again says, the wicked are not so, but they're like chaff which the wind drives away. A couple of words there. It says the the word wicked. And some of your Bibles probably say the word ungodly. I prefer the word ungodly to wicked. Uh, Wicked people are evil. Ungodly people, in many cases, just don't have the roots of their life anchored in the God of the universe. Wicked are always ungodly, but ungodly are not always wicked. Uh, there's neighbors all around you, all around me, that are wonderful people. Uh, they're trustworthy. They, they love life. They're good to their families. They make good friends. It's all part of the common grace of God that God has just dumped out on all people, all of humanity, so that we all know something of what the image of God is. Uh, The ungodly simply just don't have the taproot of their life anchored in Jesus Christ. His his will is not the plumb line of their decision. Uh, So the ungodly here are just, it's talking about the ungodly here uh, are, are like chaff. Uh, the, the wind blows away. And that's the second word that I, I, I want to talk to you about is the word chaff. And chaff is the outer part of the seed that separates during the time of threshing. For instance, uh, at the time of harvest, the grain would be brought to a threshing floor. And usually the threshing floor was a kind of a hard a uh, rock-like surface, probably a big flat rock, uh, hopefully on a mound that would be exposed to the wind. And when the grain is brought there, uh, those people that were involved in that exercise would take the grain, throw it up in the air, and it would come down and hit the hard surface. And if you do it again and again and again over enough times, eventually the outer shell, the husk that covers the valuable kernel, begins to separate. And when it finally does separate, then you throw it up in the air, the wind blows the light husk away, and the valuable kernel falls to the ground, and it can be gathered. Uh, <clears throat> so the light chaff is blown away. Now, what it's really saying here is in contrast to those who are rooted in God, uh, and likened to a tree, the ungodly are rootless and restless. And what it does is it reflects a postmodern generation where truth is individualized and freedom from religious dogma is value. And, and when God is marginalized, virtues are compromised, and when virtues are compromised, we become chaff. We're just blown wherever our inclinations happen to take us. Uh, There's a number of years ago uh, when a controversial movie came out. It was called Indecent Proposal. I didn't see the movie, but I read a very insightful article about it. And in the movie itself, Robert Redford comes to the other two actors, Woody Harrelson and Demi Moore, who on the movie were happily and faithfully married to one another. And he offers a million dollars if he can have the wife for one night. And what the movie does is it deals with the age-old question of this age. Is there anything that is an absolute non-negotiable, no matter what the enticement, no matter what uh, the threat? Uh If not, we're chaff. We're just absolute chaff. The implication here is simply that if there's nothing in your life to which you're absolutely committed, then you can be blown about. And if you're wondering why our culture is so restless and unstable today, it's uh, look no further than Psalm 1. People without God don't have roots. They're not anchored in this life to anything that's substantial. Uh, You know, one of the things that Christians can do is we can read the works of people who lived, Christian works of people who lived uh, 500, 1,000, even 2,000 years ago. And go back and read those great uh, Christians who. Dotted every century along the way, and we can understand it, and we can be edified by it and uh, and, and go there but uh, when you read the works of those who are do not know the lord it 's an intellectual revolving door it 's always changing um, at times. you know my undergraduate degree was in psychology, and I enjoyed it a great deal but uh, It got a little confusing. I would read uh, Sigmund Freud and uh, come away feeling that man is basically bad. Then I'd read Carl Rogers and walk away from that thinking man is basically good. Then I studied ego psychology, which said man's not all bad, he's not all good, he's a combination of bad and good. And then I read uh, B.F. Skinner in Behaviorism, who said, man's not bad, man's not good, man's not a combination of bad and good. Uh, He's absolutely nothing. He's zero with the edges rubbed off of it. He's a machine. He can be programmed. And then the existentialist comes along and said, well, you can't say mankind is nothing. I mean, obviously, he's something because... He, she happens to exist. But since they're the product of chance phenomena, there's nothing we can adequately say about them. They're an unplanned happening, obeying no laws and moving in no directions. The only thing that we can say about them, says the existentialist, is that they exist. Now after 40 semester units of all of this (laughs) stuff, I came out and graduated with my feet firmly planted in midair. You know, what do you do with this? You know, uh, it just reminds us that, that those who aren't anchored in God are restless. So, you know, just small wonder there's so much social instability in the world. You know, I, I'm not down on psychology at all. I enjoyed the discipline. I learned quite a bit. My wife is, has a Ph.D. in psychology. She's a wonderful Christian counselor. But any study of human personality needs to be poured through a biblical grid, because what God says trumps everybody else, does it not? All right. Um, When, you know, one other thought here. Uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, you know, the German atheist of 100 years ago, he noticed uh, that in Europe that belief in God was losing its compelling power. And uh, he made an interesting and very insightful statement. He says, when God dies in a society, everything else is going to seem weightless. You know, I have a friend. uh, His name is Glenn Smith, and I met him during the four years that I lived up in Ottawa, Canada. And he was working for CREW. Uh, Krampus Crusade at that particular time with students, but then he eventually moved to Montreal, about 100 miles or so away from Ottawa, and uh, began working in the same kind of Christian community and non-Christian community, uh, discipling individuals and people there. But he made an interesting statement. He says, you know, 40% of the people in Quebec, and not just the city of Montreal, but in Quebec, uh, live alone. Uh, They have some civil unions, but they have oftentimes different residences in which they live. And community is something that is not considered very valuable. Simply because it's such hard work. It's messy. You're always trying to arrange, you know, and make stuff happen. And they just don't want to do that anymore. And, you know, our culture is kind of bought into this thing. You know, advertisers lie. Uh, employers exploit employees. Lack a lot of initiative. Couples break vows. B- uh, the powerful oppress. You know why are we doing this to one another? Well, we're just kind of going where we want to go, doing what we want to do. My generation experienced it. You know, kind of in a revolutionary period of the sexy '60s and '70s, and it was all reflected in the music that was going out. And. Uh, You know, the mamas and papas, they came out with Monday, Monday and California Dreamin', but they also had this catchy little tune, you gotta go where you wanna go, do what you wanna do, do it with whomever you wanna do it with. No biblical absolutes, nothing to guide us but the want-tos, no commandments, no absolutes, no right or wrong, just want-to. You know, and you think, you go through something like this and say, well, why not let a stranger have the wife and take the million dollars for one night? Why not do that? And I'll tell you why. If there's nothing inside you or inside me to which we're absolutely committed no matter what, then there's no you and there's no me in there. We're nothing but chaff. Nothing but chaff. And we're a facade. And the future is bleaker than the present. Verse 5 says this. The ungodly will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly will perish. You see, uh, unless a man or a woman finds their anchor in God in this particular life, uh, they're going to be like chaff. They're going to, in fact, perish itself. And The word perish is a, a very scary word. You see, all humankind, whether they love God or not, have been created in the image of God. And that allows them to experience love and generosity and work hard and success and, and marriage and friendship. It just God it just poured it out like a bucket of jewels on all of the human race, the common grace of God. Uh, he, he's done that, but... Uh, we also uh, have a sinful nature that we picked up from the adversary way back in the Garden of Eden. And when you look at the word perish, it becomes scary because what happens when in the beautiful part is like we're, we have, we're made in the image of God. We have God inside us, but we also battle with our own sin. And the beautiful thing that ultimately when Christ returns, when we enter into heavenly glory, everything that's associated with the image of God in us will explode in full glory. And everything associated with sin will be totally gone. And that will allow us to fellowship and love one another and enter into relationship in a way that is absolutely pure. Even now in the best of friendships, the best of marriages, we're always posturing. We're always wearing a little bit of a mask. We don't want to be, appear to be as vulnerable. Or we don't want people to know that we're as bad as we really are. And so we're always posturing. But all of that will be done away. And we'll all explode in glory and enjoy the fellowship that God has intended since the beginning of creation. But in hell, it's just the opposite. Everything that's associated with the image of God and somebody that rejects God is going to be removed. And everything that's associated with the sin nature is going to explode in ugliness. And there'll be, you know, people populating hell itself, but there won't be any capacity for relationship because the image of God has indeed been removed. You know, that's... uh, that is scary. Absolutely scary. And people who uh, spend their lives demanding absolute independence from God are eventually going to get it. Complete independence. George McDonald, who was a, a mentor to C.S. Lewis, he said it well. He says, everybody must come to a point in his or her life where they say to God, thy will be done I am not my own. Or they're going to reach the end of their lives and God will say to them, Thy will be done. You are your own. Scary. One final thought. Uh, in verse 1, when it says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked and so forth. How blessed is the man. It's real interesting. We uh, The psalmist uh, you know, doesn't use the, the Hebrew word for mankind or humankind. When we talk about mankind, we're really talking about men and women. We call it humankind now, which is probably a better word. But the generic word for people, men and women, in the Hebrew is not used. And it's not used in the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint either. The, the word anthropos is the general generic word for humanity. And adom is the Hebrew word for it. But when it says, blessed is the man, the word is emphatically masculine. And you say, well, what's the significance of that? And, And my understanding is simply this. That even though the psalmist has in mind, when he's speaking in Psalm 1, men and women mankind generally, he's speaking to men and women generally, but he's also alluding to the man in particular. And the man, of course, would be none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the point. As we delight in the law of God, we will be sinking our roots deeply into the God of the law. And that will lead to a life of wonder. It will lead to a life of beauty. It will lead to a life of worship. And that's really what we want to do. And that's what Psalm 1 is all about. Would you bow your heads with me? And I'll close in a word of prayer here. Our our Father, we thank you um, for all of the Good things that uh, are happening uh, in our lives, uh, in this church, uh, for the way in which you're moving, and uh, Father, I pray that we would continue to be attuned to that. And in the midst of all the uh, temptations that uh, we experience in the world, we would pray, Father, that uh, we would understand that they're a dead end, that they'll ultimately lead to misery. And uh, futility. And so, Father, we, um, we look to you. We love you. And we pray that even in the course of this week, as we fellowship, uh, as we enjoy the company of our families and one another, that uh, you would not just have a place, but that you would be preeminent. Uh, we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank
0: you, Pastor Gary. Uh, we're so blessed. And, uh, you know, November truly is a, a month of giving thanks. And uh, we give thanks that uh, the Lord has brought Pastor Gary and his wife Suzanne into our midst. And this is their sort of official kickoff Sunday. So I want to welcome them again. And they're going to, you know, we've been having time to slowly integrate with them and get to know them and for them to get to know us and they will continue through that in this season and so we look again look forward to what God has in store for us and uh, truly you know our anchor begins at the cross and so today as we celebrate communion we remind ourselves once again where our anchor is and who that anchor is. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks the cup. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you remind yourself of who is the anchor of your life. And today, if you don't have that anchor, it's an opportunity to receive Christ, to give your life to him. And today, as we're taking communion, as, as the word tells us, we need to examine ourselves. We need to examine our hearts. And I think in particular, we want to examine what are the areas that we're thankful for? What has God done in our life today, this week, this month, that we're thankful for? Given that Christ is that anchor in our life. I'm going to ask uh, uh, elders to come forward. So our elders are Sean Chow and Daryl Mui. And they're going to help um, to... Serve the communion elements. And so as we're taking the elements, or as we're receiving the elements, I'm going to ask you to just kind of hold on to it until everyone has been served. Uh, And before you go, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can once again come to your communion table to commune with you, to spend time with you to pour out our lives to you as you poured out yourself to us and to give you thanks Lord for being the anchor in our life. We receive this grace through your name in Jesus name. Amen. And I just want to just say that if you haven't received the Lord right now, that don't feel embarrassed, uh, Just go ahead and pass the elements by um, and just observe. But also, again, examine whether or not you want that anchor. You want Jesus to be the anchor of your life. Scripture tells us on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body given for you. Take it, and as often as you do, you do this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. And in the same way, he took the cup, and he said, this is the new covenant poured out for you. As often as you drink it, you do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the. New Covenant together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the myriad graces that you offer to us in our lives to renew us again, to rebuild us. Thank you, Lord, for coming down and offering yourself to us and your amazing grace. We continue worshiping the Lord together, and uh, the ushers are going to come forward and um, pass the offering bags, and uh, if you filled out that welcome card, you can just drop it as it's going by.
2: If my heart is overwhelmed And I cannot hear your voice, I'll hold on to what is true, though I cannot see. If the storms of life, they come, and the road ahead gets steep, I will lift these hands and faith. I will believe. I remind myself of all that you've done and the life I had because of your son. Love came down, rescued me.
1: Love came down and set me free.
0: is filled. When my heart is
1: filled with hope and every promise comes my way, when I feel your hands of grace rest upon me, staying desperate for
0: standing for the benediction. The Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord make his face to shine upon you, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, amen and amen in Jesus' name, amen. Please stay and have a great time of fellowship and enjoyment together.